We said last week that angels were many things, but for sure they are real. (laughs) They're not pretend, they're not made up, they're not mythical. We also said they're not like you see them in Hollywood or on Hallmark cards or little little, uh, Christmas programs, that they are created beings, created by God, and they are, at that point, continue to go on forever. They are immortal at that point. They weren't always, they were created, but they are immortal. There are many, many of them, multitudes upon multitudes, millions of them, and they have many purposes, and and, uh, just for sake of clarity, we kind of lumped them into three categories. You could probably find more than three, but they worship, they witness, and they are warriors. They're worshipers, they're witnesses, and they're warriors. And last week, we looked at length at how they were worshipers, and we focused on Isaiah chapter 6, where he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple on that day, and he actually sees some of the angels, the seraphim and the, and the cherubim, and describes them in some detail. And they were, these particular angels are created to always surround the throne of God and say, holy, 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 and glorify him all times. It's an amazing thing when you think about that's going on in heaven at all times. These created angels, these powerful beings created to glorify God and make much of him. And we see them glorifying God throughout the Scripture. And even the night that Jesus is born, the angels and the heavenly host appear, and and they sing glory to God in the highest, you know, on earth, peace to them whom God is well pleased. And so angels always point us to God and to his glory, not to themselves. We don't worship them. We don't pray to them. We don't talk to them. They always point us to the glory of God. But they are real. And they are powerful, and they are among us. And I realize sometimes we, we just sort of disconnect from that, but the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that they are real, that they are here, that they are powerful, they are among us, and they are indeed worshipers who point us to the glory of God here and obviously in heaven. We will see that. But they're also witnesses to the activity of God in heaven and on earth, and they participate in that activity by, by talking about it, by instructing, by, by, by... We'll see this. Look, from no one speaks more about angels in the Bible than Jesus himself. Now, you think about that. There are a lot of characters in the Bible, but not one single person in the Scripture speaks more about angels than Jesus he speaks about them all the time in the Gospels. You can just, they're just, because he's constantly aware of them, around him, all of the time. And so if we're going to believe in Jesus, we're going to believe in the Christ, we're going to believe in the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, as we just described in the communion we took, was buried, rose on the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father, makes intercession for us, will come again and receive us, that where he is, we will be also. If we believe all those things, then we believe what he says. He talks a lot about angels. So we know they are real. Just think with me for a minute. I said angels were worshipers. We talked about that last week. But this week, just think with me for a moment about angels being witnesses and participants to the, to the work and the ministry of God, particularly of Jesus Christ, his Son. Father, as we look to your word this morning, make it powerfully real in our hearts and our lives. Father, use it to change the way we think and the way we live and 
And Father, even this morning, use it to encourage us and comfort us in the midst of anxiety and fear and dread and challenges in our life. May we see you in all of your power and all of your glory, even in your word as we read it, as we hear it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, obviously, we have the angel announcing to the young virgin Mary that Jesus is going to be born. In Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, Mary hears from the angels even the name, for he will save his people from their sin. And even what he will do, they are witnesses to the salvation of Jesus to those who would come to know him. Or how about when the angels were speaking to Joseph in a dream about who Jesus really is? I mean, remember, Joseph is engaged to this young woman, and now she's pregnant, and it's the angel who comes and tells Joseph, this child that Mary has is of the Holy Spirit. You imagine what a message. It was the angel who shared that. Of course, as I already said, in that Bethlehem field in Luke chapter 2, when, when the sky was, the dark sky was filled with brilliant light and it was that heavenly host of angels and they were singing glory to God in the highest and they told the shepherds, did they not go into Bethlehem and there you'll find Mary and Joseph and this child and he'd be wrapped up in swath. The angels are witnesses to what's going on and instructing not only Mary and Joseph but even the shepherds to go and to see for themselves. And then it was an angel again speaking to Joseph, saying, look, it's dangerous here, and, and uh, your family is in danger, and you need to flee to Egypt. And so, taking heed of what the angel said, Joseph fled to Egypt. Jesus is not yet two years old, and look at how often the angels have participated in this activity of redemption and how they are witnesses to this. And what about when Jesus first sets out in his earthly ministry? After his baptism, remember, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and he struggles with Satan there and all the temptations. And, and what a wonderful passage that is where Satan tempts him in three very distinct and different ways that we can all relate to as we will talk about perhaps some other time. And Jesus refuses Satan each and every time because he was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin. And he responds to Satan with God's word. At the end, exhausted, by the way, from this battle with Satan. We sometimes forget that. He was a man. He was God, but he was a man, and he battled Satan. And battling Satan is exhausting, and he was exhausted with his battle with Satan. And the Scripture says what happens next. The angels come, and they minister to Jesus and prepare him for his earthly ministry that would begin he spoke of angels, and he told stories about angels. When it came to the end in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is pouring out his heart to God, when Jesus is, is, is literally sweating drops of blood from the intense uh, contemplation of what he is about to do, become the object of God's wrath for all sin of all who would be redeemed, to be beaten, to be scourged, to be nailed to a cross, to be killed, as he's going through all of that. And finally, he acknowledges, Lord, if this, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it do so. But it doesn't. And then he embraces the cup, cup you just took symbolically. Jesus embraced that death. He said, not your will, not my will, rather, but your will be done. 
And at that point, the angels come in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they minister to Jesus. And when Peter is ready to defend Christ there, when the, when the uh, soldiers come and he pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of a soldier and Jesus puts it back on, in all of that, Jesus reminds them that if he wanted to, he could call legions of angels to destroy all of his enemies and set him free. Even Satan, when he's tempting him, reminds Jesus, if you throw yourself off this temple, the angels will come and take you, protect you, lest you cast your foot against a stone. And then, <laughs> if that's not enough, when Jesus has been buried and he is in the tomb, he's got this big stone over it, and the women come that Sunday morning, and who do they see seated on that stone that has been moved away from the entrance of the tomb? They see an angel there on the stone, and they discuss with the angel, and the angel tells them how Jesus is not here. And then when, when the disciples, at the very last, they've seen Jesus many times after his resurrection, but he's ready to ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And who is it that speaks to those disciples and say, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing? This say, Jesus that you've seen will come again. It's the angels who give testimony to that. Just look at how many times in the life of Jesus we see the angels giving testimony, bearing witness to who Jesus is, to his power, to his, his salvation, to his purpose. Not only are angels worshipers of God the Father, but they're witnesses of Jesus Christ the Son and the testimony of his salvation to all of us. What a glorious picture we see in all of that. But what I really want to drill down on in the time we have left is in one chapter of the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16, a very familiar story that Jesus again tells. Jesus, as I said, speaks more about angels than anyone else in the Bible. So when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling frustrated, when you're feeling frightened, when you're feeling outnumbered in this world, we'll talk about it next week when we talk about angels as warriors. But if, if for one moment... God would reveal to you what's really happening around you, you would be so encouraged to realize you are not alone, that angels are around us, that they are powerful, and they do have a purpose, and they are eternal, and they're going to do something really amazing for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Something absolutely wonderful awaits us in, a, in a, an encounter with an angel. You may say, I've Never encountered an angel. Well, that's another story for another day. Um, we don't have time to go into it at this juncture. Perhaps you have. But I know one thing. All of us who are children of God, all of us who have been redeemed, we are all going to have a personal encounter with an angel. Every last one of us. Jesus shares this story in Luke 16. You say, is it a parable? Well, in some ways, Luke, you know, is, is the gospel filled with parables. And in some ways, it starts out as Jesus does other parables, like the parable of, of the prodigal or the good Samaritan. But there's very one very unique difference that most theologians and biblical historians would point out to us, that in this case, as Unlike any other, if it were a parable, any other parable that Jesus shared, 
there are no names in those parables. They're just individuals. A man had a son. A man went down to, to, uh, to, to, on a travel, on a road to Jericho and so on. Or a woman lost a coin. Or a man lost sheep. But here in this story, there's a name, Lazarus. It's an individual. And so most historians, most theologians are, are convinced that this is actually a real person, and Jesus is actually telling us a real story. Now hold on here, because this is one of the most important stories in the New Testament, because here Jesus does something very unique and very unusual. He literally pulls back the curtain of heaven so you and I can understand what happens when a follower of Jesus, when one who's been redeemed, when one who's been made righteous by Christ's blood, what happens to us when we die? You may be in your 20s or 30s and younger than that, and you may not really be thinking much about death, but trust me, the older you get, the more you realize you're not going to avoid it. And some of us are really troubled by death, and some folks have real issues with being anxious and fearing it. And it is an enemy, don't get me wrong. It's not something we should like or love. Actually, when you think about death, it is Satan who loves death because he's the author of it, right? The wages of sin is death. When Moses was a child, what did Pharaoh do? He wanted to kill all the Hebrew babies. When Jesus was a child, what did Herod want to do? He wanted to kill all the Hebrew babies. I mean, death is something that Satan is all about. And even today, we, in many ways, glorify death constantly in our culture. You and I have talked about that before. Even in our entertainment, we seem to be entertained by Stories of murder and death and gruesomeness. The reality is, we don't have to fear it. It's been defeated. And Jesus here gives us this amazing glimpse. He literally pulls back the curtain of heaven for just a moment. And he gives us this clear picture of what happens to the believer when he dies. Chapter 16 of Luke's Gospel in the 19th verse. Again, a real man with a real name. Jesus is telling us a real story that really happened. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was a poor man named Lazarus. Now, this Lazarus was covered with sores now, he, ha- he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Here's what that's saying. Is this, this rich man literally wore his wealth on his sleeve. I mean, he, he showed it off in the clothes that he wore. And certainly in that day, the clothes you wore, especially purple, showed everybody how much money you had. He was proud, and he boasted about his money, and he ate well every day, and he could care less about the poor man right at his gate and did nothing for him. In fact, we see this this really sort of gruesome and and uncomfortable image of the dogs licking his sores, but actually that would bring some relief to the man. So what's happening here is even the dogs care more about this man than does the rich man. That's what Jesus says is making clear here. Even the dogs realize this man needs help, and they're bringing some relief to him. As a dog would lick another dog's sore, they're they're helping this man. When the rich man ignores him entirely and has nothing to do with him. 
And if nothing else, this really tells us that when we look at our lives and we say, why are all these bad things happening to me? Why do all these good things happen to everybody else? It's a question that we've all asked. Even the psalmist asked it about it in, in Psalm chapter 1. You know, why, why do, the, why do the, the godly bad things happen to the godly? And why does the ungodly seemingly go on and, and do well? And here we see it here. The reality of it is, story's not over yet. <laughs> This is one brief instance, and we're talking about all eternity, and in all eternity, it's all going to change. And you may have it somewhat difficult and challenging here, as this poor Lazarus did, but that is brief and will not last very long, and that is not your inheritance, and that is not where you're eventually going to be for all eternity. Likewise, you may have it very well here, but if you don't take care of things here, if you don't turn to Christ and you don't repent of your sin and you don't follow him, the brief moment you have here that's good, we'll, we look around at people who seem to have everything, but we have to have great compassion on them because what they're looking at in their future is unbelievably painful. So Jesus says, even the dogs licked his sores. In other words, the dogs cared more about this man than the rich man. Verse 22, the poor man died... It was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. And for a, for a Hebrew to, to be at Abraham's side was heaven. And so Jesus says that, that when this man died, and, and again, again we, we don't have time this morning, it's not saying here that if you're poor, you're going to heaven. If you're rich, you're going to hell. That's not what the Scripture says throughout all of that. There's some indication that the, 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 even his name, Lazarus, the Hellenistic version of that, refers to something in, in, perhaps in Genesis chapter 15 about one that God cares for. And so the implication here is that even though he was poor, and even though he was sick, even though he had nothing, there was a righteousness that God had given to him in, in some way or fashion. He was righteous through Christ, through God, yet to happen. There were people in the Old Testament who, came, who, were, who were made righteous by their faith and their hope in a Messiah yet to come. We're made righteous by our faith and our hope in the Messiah who did come. And, and the st- point of this story is that this man, even though the look of him was one who had nothing going for him, he had everything because God had done something for him and he was righteous. And so when his death came, here's what happens. Don't miss it. <laughs> an angel comes at the point of his death and an angel carries him to heaven. So what do you and I, you and I have to look forward to as a believer when we die? You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be walking through some dark tunnel looking for a light. You're going to be in the arms of an angel. And if you've lost a loved one, a mother, a father, a child, a spouse, you can be confident on the words of Jesus Christ himself as we see in his infallible, inerrant, perfect word of God that when a believer dies, they are embraced and carried to the very presence of God by an angel. You are not alone. What a glorious and wonderful thought. They are witnesses to the birth of Christ, witnesses to the, to the, to the testimony of Christ, witnesses to the death of Christ, witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, witnesses to the ascension of Christ. And when a believer dies, or when one comes to know Christ, they are witnesses to his salvation. And all of, all of the angels in heaven rejoice when you or I or another one return, turns from sin and follows Jesus. And then 
They are witnesses when a saint dies to, 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 to embrace that saint and to carry that one into the very presence of God. What a great and wonderful story. What a great reality that we have before us. Angels are real, and you're going to encounter one unless, unless the Lord comes before you die, and then you'll see them when you go to heaven. But either way, you're going to see them, and you're going to encounter them. And even at that moment of your physical death, as a child of God, you can rest assured that you'll be carried to the presence of God by an appointed angel. I just love that. Jesus didn't say he just came to the bosom of Abraham. He makes it very clear in verse 22. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, I would be amiss if we didn't finish this story. The rich man died and was buried. There's no angel taking him to hell. He is alone. He's died, he's buried, and he is in Hades. He is in torment. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off, and he saw Lazarus at his side. And he called out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Oh, wait a minute. You mean this rich man actually knew Lazarus' name? He actually knew who Lazarus was? Ignored him anyway? Dear ones, I know we all want wealth. We all want, we all want to have a life where we can have no worries about anything financially. We all think if we could just get this stuff, that life would be so much better. But time and time again, the Scripture makes it clear, both specifically and in stories like this, that the more stuff we tend to have, the less we tend to care about anybody else, and the less we tend to care about God. Now, if you can be very generous like Zacchaeus was, and give half of your goods to the poor, and return four times to anybody you've stolen then your, the giftedness that God may give you financially will be a blessing to others, and he may give you more. But for most, most humans are like this man. Once we've got all of we need, we don't really see the hurt in the rest of the world. And it's amazing that he actually knew who Lazarus was and had spent his whole life ignoring him and not helping him. He also knows who Abraham is. He's able to see from where he is in torment into heaven. I can't even begin to think about that. And he says to him, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in cool water and cool my tongue, for I may anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, like manner, bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. Things will turn, by the way. You may have a very difficult, challenging life. I just, is a dear, dear, sweet missionary that I've known for years. He never served in a very big place. He always served in very small rural areas. Never made any money in his whole life. Worked among some really small, struggling churches. And now he's in retirement age. He developed cancer. And uh, gone through all kinds of treatments and struggles. He lives in a relatively rural area, and he has to go a long way in order to get the treatments, and thought that he was doing much better, and went back for a checkup, and I just saw this this morning on my Facebook, and his return with a vengeance, and um, 
he lives a long way from the cancer center. And so um, a couple of nights ago, he was trying to get out of his chair, and his wife was trying to help him, and he fell, and she fell, and she broke her wrist. One of their children is way out of town on working, and another one doesn't live nearby. And so the kids came back to try to help them, and mom has to have surgery on her wrist, and there's a medical transportation company that will take dad to get his treatments. You look at that, and you think, here's a man who gave his whole life to serve churches in a very remote and challenging place, and now at the end of his life, it seems as though it just gets harder and more challenging and more difficult. And I thought about this text. I thought about, but that's not all there is. Things are going to turn. I mean, there are other people who have all this money and all this health and all this wealth, and they don't believe in God. They're enemies of God, and they're out there sometimes even, even, even really challenging the reality of Christian faith and, and being complete adversaries to Christianity, and they seem to be prospering. And you look at this, and you go, it's not over yet. God says to Abram, God, Abram says to the rich man, look, it was different. When you were alive, you had everything, but now your time is over. And it's Lazarus who's receiving far more than you ever could have known. Lazarus, in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I know that my friend, no matter how challenging He's going through right now with his health and what may happen. One day, it's going to be cured. And one day, some angel's going to come and wrap him up in his arms and take him to the very presence of our Lord. And there, everything that man has done, all the prayers he's prayed, all the sermons he's preached, all the time he's prayed with the pastor, all the meetings he's gone to to help churches, all the miles that he's traveled, the Lord's going to look at that and he's going to say, Well done, now, good and faithful servant. He's going to receive a crown of life. And he's going to celebrate and worship around the throne for all eternity. That's the reality. That's what we have. Sometimes all we see is the medical test and the struggles and the heartaches. And I understand that. But that's not the end. And I love the fact that it's an angel who moves us from this to that, right? So here it is. This angel moves Lazarus from the former life to the new life. And there, this conversation between the two. Verse 26, and besides, Jesus said, uh, Abraham says, listen, verse 26, this is so powerfully important. Verse 26 of Luke 16. This is Jesus who is giving us this story. And it's a real story of a real man, and it really happened. You want to know what life after death is like? You don't need to watch a Hollywood movie. You don't have to read some book about somebody who might have experienced something. You can go to God's Word, and here it is. In all of its stark contrast. The poorest of the poor, covered with sores, licked by dogs, but new righteousness through God is in heaven, in paradise. The richest of the rich, who seemingly had everything going for them here on earth, but ignored God and ignored others, is in hell. And he's in torment. And he's begging for just a drip of water. And Abraham says, that's not possible. And look at verse 26, because... Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none can cross from here to us. Once you die, and without Christ, there's no coming back. 
We used to preach that a lot more than we preach it now. And it's not like something we just dreamed up or something that's out of style. This is what Jesus pulls back the curtain of heaven and says, if you're a child of God, if you're redeemed, an angel's going to carry you at the point of your death to eternal glory and bliss and joy. But if you're not redeemed and you don't know him, it doesn't matter who you are here on this earth. There's this great chasm that's fixed and you're not going to be able to cross over and no one's going to be able to cross over to you. Verse 27, he said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Now he's worried about his brothers. He doesn't want his brothers ending up where he is. So he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, They have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, Abraham, if someone from the dead goes, they will repent. In verse 31, he said, even if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. (coughs) Jesus rose from the grave. And there are still some who are not convinced at all that any of this is real. And by the time they end this life, in that instant, in that twinkle of an eye, when they go from life unto death, and they wake up and they realize they are separated from God's love, and they are an object of God's wrath, and they are in torment forever, it will be too late. There's a good side to the story, and the glorious and wonderful side is that at the point of our death, it is an angel who carries us to heaven. Angels are witnesses to that work, but there's another very real side to the story, is that there is something other than heaven that awaits those after death who don't know him, and it is eternal as well. So the reason we come and we gather for worship, the reason we give of our money, the reason we send out missionaries, the reason we care about our city, the reason we care about our communities, we want everyone to know who Jesus is and that there is a future for them. And he loves them and he cares for them and their sins can be forgiven and their home in heaven can be established. Their name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and they don't have to wonder if I die, am I going to go to heaven, am I going to go to hell? They know they're going to go to heaven based not on what they've done, but on what Jesus has done and continues to do for them. And that's the gospel, that's the good news, that's why we are a church, that's why we are here, and we preach that until we no longer have any breath, and then we go to heaven and we celebrate for all eternity the glory of God around the throne for all those who've been redeemed. And in that celebration, we are again surrounded by angels who are making much of God.